Welcome to the Take Two podcast, where we discuss highly debated biblical topics. We ask questions you may be afraid to ask. Hold on to your coattails because today we are tackling the topic of what it means to be made in the image of God. What happens when you mix a sharp teenager with a Bible professor who happens to be her mom? You get the Take Two podcast with Emma and Carmen Imes. Special thanks to Prairie College for sponsoring this episode and to you for joining us. So tell me, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, that depends on who you ask. Different Bible scholars have different ideas about this, and sometimes theologians come along and have still other ideas. So it's, it's debatable. There are two major views. One group of scholars would say that to be the image of God has something to do with our capacity as humans, something that humans are able to do that animals can't do. So the main things that they point to are our spiritual capacity. So we have a soul, we have a spirit like we'll live forever and animals won't. So that makes us like God in some way. Other people say, no, it's our brains. It's the fact that we're able to think and reason. That's what makes us God's image. We share his rationality. Uh, and then still others say, no, it has more to do with our relationality. The fact that we're in relationship with each other mimics the way that the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity are in relationship with each other. There's a great illustration that kind of goes along with that. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is like about kind of thinking through with your brain. There's a banana on mm -hmm. a table. A starving man would think before taking like, even if he's, like, so hungry, he may decide to take it. Hmm. But in his mind, he decides it is wrong because mm -hmm. it doesn't belong to him. But a monkey who's hungry comes in the room mm -hmm. and, like, takes it, eats it. There's like, no that's not to. just how it works. Mm -hmm. um, another look at that is you're in a room and all of a sudden the lights go off. Mm -hmm. So, like, obviously you're going to go either to the light switch and, like and see if you can turn it on or go to the circuit board or like mm -hmm. whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> and, but if a dog is in a room and the lights go off, instead of trying to figure out like what happened, he mm -hmm. would adjust to sure. like how it's changed. Sure, and there's, there's no question but that we are different from animals, right? We, we do have advanced intellectual capabilities, relational capabilities, and spiritual capabilities as compared with animals. But there are some scholars who say that's not what makes us the image of God. Even though those things are true about us, mm -hmm. that's not what the Bible means when it calls us the image of God. So that group of scholars would say that being God's image has more to do with our identity as whole people. So they don't want to isolate just our brains or just our spirit or just our relationships. They would say we as physical whole people are the image of God, and it, it's a role that we play in creation as God's representatives. Yeah, so how does this fit in with like people that are disabled, like, and like going back to capacity, like mm -hmm. how would that work? This is why I think the, the first group of views are problematic, because if you say that being the image of God means that you have a relational, or, sorry, rational capacity, that you can think better than the animals, what happens with someone who's born intellectually challenged, right? So they, if they don't have maybe normally abled thought processes, does that mean they're less than the image of God? So that seems to me to have some ethical problems to it. And that's why I gravitate towards the identity view. 
Okay, so what does Genesis 126 say about this? Yeah, so Genesis 126 is where we first hear about the image of God. Do you want to go ahead and read it for us? Sure. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. All right, so this is obviously an important verse because here it's introduced for the first time in the middle of God's creative work, actually at the climax of God's creative work. So he's created for six days, and you can watch our podcast episode on creation yes. to talk about why, why we're told about this in six days. But on this sixth day, he makes humans and says, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. And I want to talk about those two words because those words in Hebrew, I think, help support the idea of seeing the image of God as our identity, okay. something physical rather than a capacity that's just part of us. So the word image in Hebrew is tselem, which is a little hard to say because it's using a letter we don't even have in English. So tselem is a word that has... Um, sister words in other languages of that time. And in those other languages, it's used to talk about idols or statues, so something actually concrete. So let's imagine this is our, our stand-in idol for today. Um, if I was a king, uh, I guess I would be a queen. If I was queen of an ancient culture and I went and conquered a wide territory far from my palace, I couldn't actually physically see or rule over that area consistently. So I would need to, to do something to make sure the people in that area remembered and recognized that I was in charge. So the way that kings and queens did this in ancient times is they would make a statue of themselves, a tselem, and they would make it to sort of look like them and they would inscribe their name on that and they would place it in the far corners of their territory to remind people of their rule. So it's something very concrete. Yeah. Um, what about the word likeness? So the word likeness is demuth, and that, that has to do with form and shape. So in a similar way that a statue sort of represents the shape of the person that it's representing, so, so we, in some strange way, represent God's shape or form. Okay. okay, so there's one other way that they would use it, not just kings, but also in temples. So if I was an ancient Near Eastern person and I wanted to worship God, I don't do that just anywhere I choose. I would have to go to a designated temple that has a full priesthood and they know the way to worship that God. And in the very heart of that temple would be a statue, a tselem mm -hmm. of, the, of that God. And I would know if I was an ancient Near Eastern person going to that temple, I would know that statue is not actually my God. If I'm going, say, to, to worship Ishtar, goddess in Babylon, I, I would know that, that Ishtar is not actually there, but that the temple is the authorized place that she's chosen to be worshipped and that the statue of her um, is the appropriate representation of her rule. So when God says that he's making humans as his tselem, he's not just thinking of like a warm, fuzzy thing to say about them. He's not trying to compliment them or say, wow, you guys sure are special. You're specialer than all the other animals. It's not that. He's saying something very concrete. You are my physical representatives. When people look at you, when you look at each other, you're supposed to be reminded that I am king over all, that I created all this. 
Okay, so does this affect like what we do or can we just like statue and like <laughs> buckle ourselves down? Just like, you know, yes. pick a pose, you're the statue of God. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's, there's sort of two aspects to this. I would say that just by being present, by being human, we are, we are partially fulfilling our purpose as God's created images. However, I think there's something more that we're called to do. We're called to participate in God's work of creation and restoration. So God is actually inviting us to be part of it. And so I would say we honor God most by, by leaning into what he's created us to be. Okay, so when we come back, we're going to talk about like, because if we're leaning into this mm -hmm. and like being a part of his work, who does that apply to? Like mm -hmm. for those that aren't leaning into his work. Um, Great question. Yeah, so we'll talk about that when we come back. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor, Prairie College. The Masters of Leadership in Global Christian Education is designed for educators who wish to expand their leadership abilities. The program offers the integration of global, biblical, and technological strategies to incorporate into your curriculum. This degree will equip you to lead and teach from a global Christian perspective, integrate biblical principles and teachings in the classroom, and leverage instructional technology to empower learners to further the kingdom of God. Building on Prairie's 100-year history as a leader in biblical education, the program will equip you with advanced biblical literacy to apply to your educational context. After you complete the degree, you'll qualify for ACSI's Principal Certification. Start your application to join the 2022 cohort of learners and join a class of emerging education leaders from all over the world. Learn more at prairie.edu slash masters. Looking forward to seeing you in class. Right, welcome back. So we've talked about what the image of God is, what mm -hmm. that means. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to talk about who does that apply to? Mm -hmm. Is it just Christians that are the image of God? Is it everyone? Is it just active Christians that are mm -hmm. like working for him? Great questions. So let's go back to our key passage and start there. Um, you read for us Genesis 1.26. I'll just reread it to refresh our memories. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So in the first part of our conversation, we talked about how that's something concrete, that humans are actually functioning as God's representative. We're playing a representational role in creation. This passage fleshes out a little bit for us what that role includes. It includes ruling over the created animals and taking care of God's creation. But that comes in verses 27 and 28. So maybe you can read those for us and listen for who is included in the scope of this. Okay, so it goes on to say, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Mm -hmm. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Great, so we saw a little bit more definition there to what our role is, filling the earth and subduing it. So we're bringing order, maintaining order to God's creative world. So that is in line with our purpose as his image. But notice right in the center, it said male and female, he created them. That's a really important moment because in Genesis 2, when the creation story is retold as a narrative, Adam is created first and given mm. jobs to do, and Eve isn't on the scene yet. So without Genesis 1, we might assume that Adam is like the prototypical human, like the yes. ideal human, and that the woman is sort of the tag-along or the add-on. But Genesis 1.27 makes really clear that when God says he made humans as his image, he's including men and women equally in that. So coming back to my original question, yeah. who does the image of God apply to? Is it just Christians? That's such a good question and a really important one for us to talk about. Um, I would say, no, it's not just Christians. Every human being is made in God's image. And so as you read Genesis 1, God is creating all things, and it's, it's not isolating, well, just a certain ethnic group is his image or a certain, it's not... It's not just the Israelites. It's not just Abraham and his family that are the image of God. It's all humans. So that's really important. We've already identified both men and women are the image of God. We could, we could expand that and say both young and old, abled and disabled, people of all kinds, every ethnicity are the image of God. Yeah, so one point to support that would be um, if we're saying Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, mm -hmm. Christianity wasn't even a thing then. Right. So so to say that they are the image of God mm -hmm. and that only Christians are the image of God completely clashes. That doesn't work at all. Yep. Yep. And it's really important, I think, too, to, to see that there's a difference between God choosing humans to be his image and God choosing the Israelites to bear his name among the nations, to, be, to enter into a covenant with him. That's a special job he's giving to the Israelites that is defined ethnically, at least at first. But the reason that God chooses the Israelites is so that the rest of humanity can be restored to him. So even when God chooses a subset of humanity, it's for the purposes of blessing all of humanity. And we could see that by looking at Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham and says, through you, all nations will be blessed. Okay, so my next question concerns Adam and Eve. So when they sinned, was the image of God lost, destroyed, or damaged? That's such a good question. And there are lots of biblical scholars who have said, yes, that it was lost or destroyed or distorted or diminished in some way. But I think John Kellner, who's a theologian, makes a really good case that we can't say that, that the Bible actually doesn't say anything happened to the image of God. Yes, Adam and Eve are in, in rebellion against God, and that's a, not a good thing. Um, it maybe hampers their ability to, to image God well, but they still are the image of God, just as before. If we said that they weren't anymore, then it would have implications for how we think about their dignity as human beings. And we would be back to that same conundrum if we were talking about image of God as capacity, someone's intellect or someone's um, relational capacities. If we, if we tie it to that, then as soon as someone is disabled in some way, they've lost some of the image. So I think we have the same problem with that. Yeah. So one illustration that I think maybe 
could help with this is to think of our relationship as mother and daughter. So you're my daughter. Mm -hmm. If you obey me and we have a happy relationship, we have a, if we have a, a, a positive relationship, you are my daughter. If you decide you can't stand me, if you go into a terrible streak of rebellion, <laughs> you leave the home, let's say, let's say you even trash my reputation, you go off and start destroying things, you are still my daughter, even though you've done those things. Like you are no less my daughter. I still gave birth to you. Uh, I'm still your mother, whether you like me or not. Mm -hmm. So I think we can, that's a helpful illustration to think about the image of God because our connection with God as his image is not compromised. Our relationship might be compromised, but our status as his image is not compromised. Okay, so I know you said in the Bible it doesn't say anything about it being damaged. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to like point to that if it's like not there. Yeah. Are there any verses that can help support your statement? Yeah, actually there's an interesting moment where Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he doesn't directly say image of God, but it seems pretty clear that that's what he has in mind. So I'm thinking of Matthew 22, verse 21. So the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus by asking him tricky political questions about taxes. Um, and it says, they say to him, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, which is total flattery. They don't like him at all, actually. Yeah. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, which is the kind of coin used in that time, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? So just like our coins today, there was a yeah. picture of Caesar on it, just like we have a picture of a president or a prime minister on our coins. So whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So in this moment, he's implying that that money actually is of no consequence in the kingdom of God, that it has Caesar's image, it bears his image, and it bears his name. So go mm -hmm. ahead, give it to Caesar, no problem. But you should give to God what is God's, which implies that as human beings, we are God's image, we bear his image, and we bear his name, his inscription is written on us. And so he is in that moment combining the ideas of being God's image and bearing God's name. And if you think about a coin, let's say you have a quarter and let's say it's got George, it's George Washington on the quarter, right? I think yes. <laughs> in the US. So let's say that quarter is really old and well-worn and the image is like been worn down. doesn't matter how old the quarter is, it's still worth 25 cents, mm -hmm. right? So, so even though, e even if there's been some damage, the value is still the same. And so some people use that illustration to talk about our status as God's image. It doesn't matter even if we're rebellious, we still are fully valued as God's image just the same. Yeah. This of course has really big implications for how people are treated in lots of settings. And so, so if you think about current events in the United States, there's a lot of racial unrest right now. And a lot of that surrounds the police brutality towards black people. And that's why the whole Black Lives Matter movement has, has erupted with such fervor and why so many pastors and Christian leaders have gotten on board with it because they've said, 
every black brother and sister is made in the image of God. Yeah. They're no, they're no less than anyone else. So we have to treat them in, in such a way that we recognize their full dignity as human beings. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a lot of like ground that we've covered. Are there any resources you want to give to our audience? Mm -hmm. um, I haven't found many resources on the image of God written sort of for lay people. And so I'm actually working on a book right now that will be that will talk about what it means to be the image of God. So I'm just beginning my work. Some of what I've said in this podcast, I may expand on mm -hmm. some things I may even change my mind about as I study it more. But it'll be a companion volume to this book, Bearing God's Name, um, which is talking about the people of God in covenant. Being God's image will talk about all human beings and their role as God's image. Um, I also have, we'll put a link in the description below to a sermon on the image of God that I gave and also to the Bible Project video on image of God, which is my favorite. It's so good. All right. Well, like she said, we'll be sure to link that in the description below, along with ways you can contact us and follow us on social media platforms. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Take Two podcast. See you next time.